you can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is radio on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad, and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favorite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers that enjoy talking about uh, director's work, both past and present. And we're currently uh, nearing the end of our first uh, go at the A to Z of directors. In fact, um, is, is, today, is today a special day? It is, Keith. Thank you for queuing me up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, it's been one year since we started this. My God, we've been doing this for a whole year. Yes, we have. Scary. And we're still going. And we're still going, yes. And uh, people are still listening. (laughs) So can't all be bad. But uh, I feel like we should have a cake or something. Well, we'll have like a an, an audio cake. So here you go, Keith. You can blow out the candles. Oh, at least this one won't uh, mess with the diet. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Blew there it out, go. that one candle. <laughs> <laughs> the show's first birthday. Yes. And I won't, I won't do any spoilers about what wish I made. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because it just won't come true. It won't. No. Indeed. So here we are. Yes. Yes. So we're um, we're up to V. V. Uh, yes. <laughs> and not the TV show. No. Um, We've already done that. <laughs> we have done that. Yes. Uh, our pick of director for V is uh, Paul Verhoeven. In fact, this is this is going to be another one of those podcasts where there's quite a lot to talk about here and we'll probably only end up uh, scratching the surface with this one, won't we? Because, uh, you know, a man who's done quite a variety of films, quite a lot of films and, yeah, certainly one for me, always always been there sort of as far back as I, I remember becoming interested in film and being able, being, you know, sort of able to see things on video or and, and more latterly you know going to the cinema to see and uh yeah yeah quite a uh quite an interesting one i mean he's a director whose work i grew up with um i mean i remember seeing robocop on video and uh i own owned a copy i got uh given it as a christmas present and i just remember i would come home from school and i would watch that film over and over again so much so that i would remember the adverts at the beginning which had um you know it it was because it was released through virgin we had the whole um virgin 
uh, music selection, which would start off with uh, Peter Gabriel. Oh, um, right. Yes. Then work its way through you two and uh, a whole lot of other music. And of course, it was the first VHS I remember that actually had trailers at the end of the film. Oh, really? And, okay. Yes. They had the trailer for personal services with Terry Jones going, well, this is a PG advert, so we can't really show you anything. <laughs> And, of course, there was the trailer for Still Dawn with Patrick Swayze. Oh, wow, yes, I remember Still Dawn, yes. <laughs> <laughs> a, a Swayze classic there, yeah. But he's a, but he's a director whose work, um, you know, I would, um, would you know, every time a, a, his, a film would come out, like, like Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Starship Troopers, uh, you know, I, I would rush the cinema to see, even though... Total Recall and Basic Instinct, I wasn't old enough. I actually sneaked into a cinema to see um, not all of, but some of Basic Instinct. <laughs> it was just, it, it was it was funny because the toilets were joined joined the two screens, so I walked out of one and walked straight into the other, and I thought, great. Uh, unfortunately, I missed all the the saucy stuff because I walked in near the end, so. <laughs> I don't know if that counts, but I think that was the only time I ever sort of sneaked into a, a an 18 certificate film when I was underage. Yeah, because obviously we do not condone this behaviour at all, do we, Simon? <laughs> it's really hard to do these days. So... <laughs> yeah, this is true. I know. It's I. Thing is, though, it's kind of something that it, it's people do and or did. I don't know if they do it anymore, but. Uh... It seemed to be, uh, um, what do you call it? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seems to be one of those things. Yeah, no, yes, I mean, yeah. so, so, same here. I was sort of introduced to um, uh, Verhoeven's work through through Robocop, of course. Um, it was, I think I've talked quite a bit about, um, you know, with my good friend Wayne, we used to sort of do the, the, the Saturday mornings uh, or Saturdays watching, you know, VHSs, whether it be uh, First Blood or Gremlins or Rambo or whatever. But um, I think it was uh, one of the previous guests that we've had on here, my good friend Chris. Um, I believe that uh, Robocop was possibly one of the ones I watched with him. I know there was the Terminator, Robocop and Highlander all around that time. And um I seem to I seem to remember Chris <laughs> laughing hysterically at the uh, you know at the level of violence that was even in the VHS version of um, of, of RoboCop at the time. <laughs> well, it, the from my understanding, um, the VHS version of RoboCop wasn't censored in this country. I mean, it was a full on eighteen, but it was one of those films that, as kids, we all saw. Yeah. No, I mean, all my friends had saw it and everything, and uh, and you could tell it kind of, you could tell that the studios sort of caught on to this fact because then, because with RoboCop three, they had made that a PG, and they did a TV series that was very family friendly. Oh and then, God, yeah. And they did the those sort of uh, movies as well, those TV movies that were again sort of PG, but to think that it came from this really ultra violent, you know, feature film. When I got it on on DVD, I managed to get the. Uh, it's hard to get hold of now, but it was the Criterion edition. 
okay, which has um, even that one has a commentary that, that that's not on any of the any of the pre uh, releases since then. Uh, there, there's a different commentary track, but uh, uh, in the Criterion version, there was definitely the, the the violence was definitely even more graphic than the the VHS version that I had previously. Um, for example, the Ed, the, the the famous Ed 209 scene, uh, you know, once he sort of blasted the guy, uh, you, you know, into the into the model, um, he he sort of keeps firing for longer. So there's there's more, you know, it, it goes on for longer and it's even nastier and uh, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's I've I've seen I've seen the longer cuts. It's called the director's cut um, on DVD and and uh, Blu-ray. And uh, it's that scene, and also Murphy's death scene is is longer. You actually see his uh, arms. That's right. Shot off. Yeah, yeah. Give the man but, a um, hand. The, the thing, <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, though, about about that was, um, I think the actual theatrical cut was about the right length because it, it just showed you enough. I mean, it showed you more than enough to tell the truth because I remember those scenes really being absolutely bloody violent. I mean, it's not a guy just being shot. I mean, it's a guy being shot mm. to pieces, you know, in both cases. Yeah. I mean, and that's and that's also, you know, that's a trademark of uh, Verhoeven's work. Like um, the scene with Arnie going up the escalator and he uses the guy as a human shield. I mean, that poor, you know, I, 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 it was definitely a, a stuntman in the beginning. I don't know by the end if it was a, oh, a dummy what, or not. Recall, but yeah. there was a lot, yeah. yeah. But there was a lot of squibs going off, and you know, people would have chunks taken out of them, and yeah. I mean, even even Arnie himself when he's going up against that digging machine with uh, Benny in there. No, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I mean, he is obviously very renowned for his uh, sort of graphic gore and violence but but also his um his uh you know sex and nudity and you, you know things of that nature so i mean he, he's one of those he's been quite a uh, controversial director over over the years with some of his material but um but but you know i i actually consider him a very good director and uh you, you know do like most of his work well yeah he's he is a favorite director of mine and um um I, I mostly know his american work um i've not really seen any of his work from denmark but the the thing is though he very interesting guy i mean let's i'll give you a bit of history about him i mean he studied to be a mathematician but uh always sort of wanted to get into the arts and he was drafted into the navy he had to like to do national service for denmark and uh, he became a uh, filmmaker for him and he shot a, uh, a documentary about how great the Danish Navy was. And I've seen photographs of him with landing craft and, you know, and troops running out onto the beach. And they're very reminiscent to the landing crafts in uh, Starship Troopers. You know, the, the scenes where they're attacking Klafu, uh -huh. you know, the, the, the home planet, the bugs, and you see him sort of running out of these sort of drop ships and all the, the fireworks and everything going off. And, it, you know, it was very reminiscent of that. Yeah. And, of course, he went on to have, he did a, a TV series called uh, Floris, 
which was uh, very much like a Ivanhoe Robin Hood TV series, which starred Rutger Hauer. Oh, wow. Okay. And of course, he went on to use Rugger Hauer again in Soldier of Orange. That's right. And then, and then with his first Hollywood film as well, didn't he? Flesh and Blood. So it's funny. I think Flesh and Blood is more of an American-European uh, co-production because Robocop is officially his first American film. Right. Because after The Fourth Man, um, he can get funding in his own country. Mm-hmm. His films were very popular. They made a lot of money. But uh, because 50% of the budgets over there was funded by the government, um, there was like a, a regime change and they didn't like Verhoeven. They wanted films that had uh, like social relevance and stuff, which Verhoeven definitely didn't. And so his wife said to him, you know, Hollywood keeps calling you, go to America. And uh, and so he did, and Robocop was the first film he did there. So I would say Robocop was more officially he was his first American film, solely American film. Flesh and Blood is more of a, I think it's more of a co-production, because it was right. definitely shot over in Europe. Yeah. And it had a lot more European actors in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it certainly had uh, Rugger Hauer in it, but by, of course by that point he was a bigger star in the States because of uh, Robo- oh, no, Robocop Blade Runner. Of course, yeah. Because Flesh and Blood was 85. And so it's about, you know, in the 80s, Roger Howe was making a big name for himself over in the States. Um, I think about the time he was doing uh, Wanted Dead or Alive. <laughs> and that, again, another VHS classic. Yes, indeed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which he was actually playing something like uh, a descendant of the... Um, character that steve mcqueen played in in the western series of the same title which i always thought was cool yeah (laughs) Yeah. oh god yeah 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 i think um i'm not quite sure how if they it was tied into the tv series or not not but you know he just mentions it in one scene in the film he talks about his um great great grandfather or something and uh yeah yeah Yeah. no it it was kind of (laughs) cool i always i always kind of like that little tie (laughs) because <laughs> my dad was always a big fan of the tv show so uh i remember it being in reruns and uh he used to to watch it and it was it was really cool to see a really young steve mcqueen you know it's like wow okay this guy this guy was cool even back then <laughs> though the thing is though i don't know what happened with him in hollywood i don't know if they had a falling out of sight because the last film i saw of his black book Mm. he had gone back to denmark and this was after hollow man so i don't know if he's kind of like semi-retired or you know that he just couldn't get work made in uh, hollywood because you know most of his films were big successes yeah no absolutely i mean um yeah yeah he did have a quite a run there of of his hollywood films and um yeah it was uh it's interesting but uh yeah, he's kind of. I don't know. Is he? He has done. He's done one other film since Black Book, hasn't he? I believe. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking at it now. It's a film called Tricked. Right. Uh, I have not seen. I hadn't heard of it. To tell the truth. Um, I'll tell you. Uh, well, I think it's again. It's another Danish film. It's. Uh, Sorry, I okay. do. I do want to correct you, Simon. You mean Dutch, don't you? He's in fact from the Netherlands. So. Oh right. 
Why? So, what did I say? I think you said Danish, but uh, oh, oh, uh, sorry. E- yeah. Easily done, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sweden! I'm Swedish, Mac, and I'll eat. Uh. So. Oh yes, sorry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is Dutch, not Danish. <laughs> That's all right. I mean, is it, you know, um, but uh... oh, okay. Well, I I don't know what Tricked is about, but uh, that was the uh, the last film he's uh, credited as director. But no, that's cool. I mean, at least he is still. Di- How long ago was that? Was that um, recent or was that a few years back? Uh, that's 2012. Though, uh, oh, according okay. to IMDb, he is in post production on a film called L. So, oh, okay. Okay, because I mean, what is he? Seventy-seven now, isn't he? So uh, yeah, but you yeah. know, still plenty of time. I mean, when you're a director, that's <laughs> the thing, the thing, isn't it? That, you know, you can direct into your nineties and beyond. Why not? Yeah, it seems we'll we'll, case, we'll be directing it? into our hundreds and hundred and twenty <laughs> and whatever by the time we well by the time we actually make it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You see, yeah, when there isn't the when case. there isn't any more time as an actor, there's directing. <laughs> uh, oh dear. Yes. Oh. Anyway, let's uh, move on to our picks. Yes. Um, so, uh, Keith, uh, what is your pick for movie heaven? All right. Well, I'll be honest. I confess, I kind of changed tack a little bit. Um, as I've said, as people will remember from my uh, De Palma and um carpenter podcasts uh i said that you know i don't hate all movies that are set on mars <laughs> and i <laughs> and i obviously cited total recall as one of my um one of my favorites uh, which it yeah. is indeed um however i thought you know as paul verhoven is indeed from the netherlands and you know because of because of uh where and when you and I grew up and, 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 you know, what we had access to in our sort of formative years and been inspired by a lot of the uh, directors and therefore a lot of the films that we've talked about on this podcast are very much usually done by either uh, British or, or, or American uh, directors. Um, so in this case, I thought to myself that I would uh, you, you know, delve back and have a look at uh, some of his work that, that he'd done in his in his native Dutch language um, from his career before uh, Hollywood. And to be honest, I hadn't seen many, many films from that of his. Uh, you, you know, I, like you, sort of grew up knowing him from from his Hollywood films and uh, had always sort of followed his career there. Um, and I have to give a shout out actually to uh, one of our regular guests, Clive Ashenden, um, because Clive, ki- kind of knowing my my sort of tastes in in movies and whatever, um, he recommended the the last film that, uh, well, the last official, uh, I guess, Dutch film that um, that he did, uh, which he made in 1983, called The Fourth Man. Okay, Um, I hadn't seen this before. Uh, It was based on a novel by uh, Gerard Reve. And um, it was it was it was very interesting and uh, very good. So I I decided that uh, this, you know, there's there's some interesting sort of factoids around this as well. And I thought it would be maybe um, interesting for our listeners to 
you know, no doubt we are going to talk about a lot of his Hollywood films, but rather than, you know, wax lyrical over uh, Total Recall, which which is indeed one of my uh, favourite films of his, but uh, instead talk about this film. So uh, th- this was this was one he went back uh, in the day when he was doing this uh, in the Netherlands. He he had a producing partner called Rob Hauer. And um, I think that's pronounced right. Hua, Hauer, something like that. And, um, <laughs> and basically, they, they, they produced several films together. Um, uh, the, the thing that's kind of interesting about this one is uh, this, this is a suspense film. It's, it's a thriller. Uh, it's very much a kind of, uh, I, I guess you could say, um, precursor to um basic instinct which is another film of vera hoven's that that i that i particularly like it is kind of interesting because um having read about verhoven and of the fourth man i mean i haven't i I hadn't seen it until this point but um there's always been saying that this is very closely related to basic instinct and that um you know um that it was a remake as well of the fourth man which is not true because no, not. Uh, Joe Eisenhower actually had written the script for Basic Instinct and sold it for a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So Paul Van Hoven was brought on as director for that film and not um, he wasn't the or- originator of that work. I mean, yes, they share um, similar themes. They do. But they're very different films. I mean, it's what uh, it's what Verhoeven himself refers to as sort of a a spiritual prequel, um, in, in, in much the same as currently uh, at the cinema at the moment. There's um, that film uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, which J.J. Right. J. Abrams describes as a kind of spiritual partner or blood relative to um, Cloverfield. I have to say that's just it's. It's just advertising fun. They 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 had they made this film called Basement, and it has nothing to do with Cloverfield. They just reshot some stuff and renamed it so that they could actually put it out there. Because right now it's very difficult to put out original work. Oh, very yeah. So it's kind of annoying that you know people oh it's spiritual it's all this and stuff and oh it's all under the same banner and they're all trying to do this but the. The filmmakers of, of, of that film, when they originally were set out to make that film, they went out to make something original. And it's kind of been lumped in with Cloverfield, which it seems to be such a shame that they've had to do that to get it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you consider it, it's kind of like a three hander in one location and it's very different, you know, and it's obviously not found footage either. It's uh it's it's made but anyway sorry back to yeah. back to Verhoeven here uh so yeah basic instinct I, I always I always really like that film I mean I kind of um I kind of liked well we've talked on other podcasts about how I like Michael Douglas thrillers from that era and uh I kind of liked the the sort of parallels with with the sort of Hitchcockian feel and and the sort of parallels with with Vertigo and and whatever so um, I thought, you know, as a result, I would probably quite enjoy The Fourth Man. Um, and I did. Uh, a, a few other bits of trivia about it. I mean, one of the things that's kind of interesting with this is the cinematographer on this is Yann de Bont, who obviously himself 
came to Hollywood as well as a cinematographer and ended up being successful as a as a director, you know, with obviously the, the, the awesome speed film. Yeah. Um, and what film did he shoot as well? Uh, some of the Die Hard films, I believe. No, no, no. He shot Basic Instinct. Oh, okay. And he did the, yeah, he did the <laughs> cinematography on, on Basic Instinct. So, yeah. What's interesting about that is that uh, Verhoeven used him and another DOP whose name uh, escapes me right now. But um, he he said that uh, for when he moved to America, he couldn't work with uh, Jan. Uh, he couldn't work with him because um, the first two films he worked on were non DGA. Oh right, yes. And Jan de Bont had been out there for quite a while, so obviously he was already you know quite entrenched in the Hollywood system. But uh, when it came to Basic Instinct. It, suddenly it was a DGA job and uh, they could work together again. No, it, it, it was good. So, um, you know, there, as I said, there's not only Verhoeven, but again, Jan de Bont uh, involved in this production. Um, the, the, the film stars uh, Jerome Crabbe, who, uh, you know, I always kind of knew as, as, as the Bond villain or one of, sorry, one of the Bond uh, villains yes. from living daylight but uh, <laughs> but you, you know that he he's in this and um, and, and your other favorite uh film as well with harrison ford on the run oh yeah the uh the fugitive yeah indeed yeah absolutely and also we mentioned uh in in the john irvin podcast that he actually played their sort of version of the sheriff of nottingham in that in that film as that's well that's right yes so, yeah so yeah um so he plays, interestingly, his character is the same name as the uh, novelist that, that this is based on. So uh, Gerard Reve. Um, and he's kind of a, you know, he's a struggle. I mean, it, the film is set up from the beginning and kind of shows the environment he lives in. And he's, you know, he, he's very much a, a struggling artist, a writer, um, you know, he, he, who had had some success, uh, but is essentially... Uh, very poor <laughs> and um uh you know he's 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 got problems with alcohol um it's set up that he's the, quite early on in the film that he's bisexual uh and he becomes involved he goes to a be a speaker at a at a charity event and uh he meets a woman there, very much sort of a femme fatale type woman, blonde, beautiful. Um, you, you know, some some could describe her as kind of a Black Widow type character. The, it, the film gives you that suggestion straight away because what's the first thing you see uh, in the opening credits? Well, the opening credits is interesting because again, you've got it's set in a church because you've got all of this sort of Catholic. Um, you know, overtones through, throughout this this film as well. But you actually see a spider um, uh, catching a fly in the way. I mean, it's not very subtle at all, no, but it's no. actually quite no. um, quite. And it's and it's actually on a crucifix uh, of of Jesus, isn't it? Um, That's right. Yeah. As well, and you see the fly struggling, and you see the uh, basically the spider consume it so it, it, it kind of it kind of right and absolutely as you said right from the word go it kind of sets up the uh the the, the themes here um of, of the film um it's also i mean i, I don't want to put in case because i'm sure this is one of those films that many listeners probably haven't seen so uh i don't 
I wanted to say a little bit about it, but without actually giving away the end and giving spoilers as such. But um, but the film deals very much with paranoia. Yeah, I I do want to address the ending because the ending is rather interesting, and it's interesting to hear your thoughts on it. So when we do get to the ending, we'll you know say spoilers and <laughs> you know maybe ask you to sort of if you haven't seen it to sort of skip it along but i think the ending is we we have to talk about the ending yeah yeah okay we well fair, to, we fair, fair, fair enough i mean the the thing the thing with this film and again this is kind of we've said about its parallels with basic instincts but interestingly um it does in some respects uh you know have a a loose similarity to total recall and that's so much as Total Recall is one of those very, very clever layered films mm. that um, you can watch sort of from two different points of view. So you could you you can either sort of go along with the action and 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 sort of believe that uh, you, you know this is happening to that character in the film, or you can say, well, this is this is all part of the illusion that uh, you, you know the, the 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 dream, the fantasy that's been set up. And and in a similar way, um, this film plays very much on the on the main character's paranoia. So you could sort of you, you know you could look at it that um, you, you know a lot of this stuff is is just his paranoia and his mind playing tricks on him. Because again, that's set up very much from mm. the beginning of the film yes. uh, when he when he sees a, a a coffin and he thinks that his name's on it, and it turns out that it's actually not. <laughs> is his name on the coffin but there's there's all those kind of references you know there's also he has a dream sequence on the train where um he he, he sees this hotel and um he he dreams about going up to these doors and he ends up at the fourth door and there's an eyeball yes and of course when he wakes up he, <laughs> when he wakes up he sees um he hears some a kid crying and there's he was looking at a picture of this hotel and there's blood running down it. And it turns out it's actually tomato, tomato juice. juice. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very, and, but then later on when he's at this uh, book reading or book signing or talk, um, they have uh, picked out a hotel for him. And of course it's the same hotel. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, it, you know, it is throughout it's 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 the, the thing with this film is it, it, it's it's very well crafted mm. because throughout there are um you, you know there's there's various references there's a lot of references to like samson and delilah uh, and in th things of that nature there's there's lots of use of the of the color red and, yep. and green um throughout this uh there's also um uh you, you know when he when he meets this woman um she, she's she's taken a lot of uh video footage of him uh during the signing and during his 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 speech and of course you know she ends up inviting him back to her um beauty salon that she that she owns but it says uh the, the some of the neon sign is out and it's it ends up saying it's supposed to say Sphinx, I think, but it yes. ends up saying something that, when translated, means spider. That's so there, right. Yeah. There's 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 all of these um, there's all of these like little references uh, throughout, and it, it you know it's it's very nicely done. And you know the 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 woman he meets, you know, she is very much kind of your 
your, your Hitchcock blonde, you know, femme fatale type character. Um, and uh, he goes back and, oh, I have to say, oh, my God, you know, we say about Verhoeven, um, you know, being, you know, liking, obviously, his sexuality in films, but also his his graphic gore. And there's a scene in it that would that's enough to put anyone off a one night, you know, anyone off casual sex. Oh, God, yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, it's, and it's a scene where basically he comes back with this woman and, and you know, he sleeps with her. Yeah. And then um, she has a pair of scissors and uh, <laughs> she and they, I couldn't believe they actually show this. I thought they were just going to build the tension. You see the scissors coming down under the sheets, you know, uh, towards his his genitals. And um, lo and behold, they actually friggin show 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 his penis cut off. And it's like, oh, my God. And then, of course, you know, he wakes up and it's it's a dream, dream and yeah. more paranoia and all this sort of thing. But I did sort of think to myself, my God, Verhoeven, you know, <laughs> you, you've done this all your career, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, I think when you said that the main character was bisexual, I think actually he, he's more gay than he is bi. Because when they when he has sex with uh, Christine, the woman, um, he he makes her flatten her chest. That's right. He hides her breasts, doesn't he, to make her look boyish or something. <laughs> and of course, it's still. But the act of sex is not a big turn on. So a lot of the dreams and stuff were kind of they're very Freudian about like this woman, you know, taking his manhood away from him. Mm-hmm. Or his gayness away, and so it is. It was kind of that paranoid thing, um, but then also, but we're, you know, pl- complicit in that paranoia because we see all these signs with him, and we're on his side, and we're thinking, my God, this, you know, this woman has, you know, done all because you think that the author is the fourth man, mm-hmm. you know, there's been three husbands already. And this guy could possibly be the fourth guy. But then we're introduced to Herman. Yes, indeed. Well, I mean, yeah, let, just just to give that a little bit of setup. So mm. so we, we discover uh, not all in one go, but throughout the film, very in a very interesting way that this woman has indeed, you know, she, she she's wealthy. She had a she had a wealthy husband uh, who, who who died and, and left her this stuff. And we find that she's actually been married no less than three times um, or to sort of fairly successful, um, you know, businessmen and, 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 and adventurer type guys that have all, you know, passed uh, in, in sort of freak accidents <laughs> in inverted commas. And um, she, yeah, it, it's set up that uh, basically um, uh Gerard or or, or um, Jerome Crabbe's character here could indeed possibly be the, the the fourth one because she 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 invites him to stay. She you know he's we establish he's very poor, so she um she basically you know lets him lets him have some of her uh, widowed husband's uh you, you know expensive designer clothes and things of that nature and then she buys him all the writing materials for him to uh to begin writing his next book and i mean he literally 
writes these books. He, you know, this is all done with ink and fountain pen and, and paper. I mean, it's real old school artistry um, here. Uh, no word processors or typewriters in sight, you know. Um, and, and yeah, it, it, it is very much um, uh, implied that, that he's going to be the next one. However, way back at the beginning of the film, when he's on his way from... Um, He's traveling from Amsterdam to, I, I can't remember where he's traveling, actually. It's gone out of my head already. Um, I've, yeah, I've, for, for, for some reason I thought it was Spain, but no, that was where the um, coffin had come from. That had come back from Spain. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, when he when he's there, I mean, you, you know, we he's set up as... Uh, you know, he's tr he tries to steal a magazine from a from a news agent at the station, and you know it's very much set up that he's poor. But he sees a uh, he sees a, um, a, a, a a man that he finds very attractive uh, who gets on the train, and he tries to sort of run up and see him at the train. Well, it it turns out that this is this is a um, boyfriend of Christine, and. Of course, when he when he sees this picture and sees this, he wants to he wants to stick around even more to to meet this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and basically, you know, do things with this guy. <laughs> um, well, let's say he's attracted to him. He is he is attracted to him. Yes, indeed. Um, and you know, she she also reveals that um, that their relationship are having problems, uh, particularly sort of sexual problems um which, which she which she uh which she fills him in on and he says he might be able to stick around and help <laughs> which i thought was quite amusing <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so so that's very much set up um we also we get these glimpses of um another woman uh that that, that, that crosses paths with uh um Rene uh, Gerard's character, uh, you, you know, throughout the story, yeah. And this, this is kind of again, it, it's it's sort of implied that she is a sort of somewhat religious, like Virgin Mary type character. I mean, it's it's very, it, it, it's it's got a very sort of um, interesting. It's got a very kind of fairy tale type theme to it doesn't it well i was going to say it's got more of a catholic vibe than a, a fairy tale vibe because there's yeah. a lot of catholic imagery in it as well i mean this especially when he has the fantasy of uh herman up on the cross with uh wearing red underwear yes yes it's very very sort of um it's kind of a very catholic and also sort of very sort of potence of death as well they're sort of like you know forewarning him of you know potential of potentially what we think is going to be his death mm -hmm. but as i say getting into spoilers i think yeah you know, i mean i mean this is well i mean one of the things i want to say before we get into that is is the reason the reason i picked this is as, as, as movie heaven uh you know apart from wanting to do something that you know wasn't in the english language and was one of his you know earlier roots uh of a film but i actually think that this film works extremely well because because of the fact it's so layered and mm. it's so thematic and he the thing that's great about verahoven is he does it 
you know, some of it's blatant, like we said with the whole spider thing at the beginning. But, you know, he does lots with imagery and um, placement of camera, uh, colours, um, and, and, and just lots of, lots of uh, interesting details. There's, there's a lot of character detail in this film. And, um, yeah, I, I, just, I just think it, it, it works really well. I mean, you know, as, as, a, as a thriller... Um, it, well, or an erotic thriller, I guess you could class it as. Um, it, you, you know, it, it really delivers, and you can sort of see how this may have led to him, you know, becoming successful in the US, and 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 you know, getting the opportunity to 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 move to the US and and, and direct out there. Because I believe this film, um, I'm sure I read somewhere that this film was nominated for a foreign language film at one of the Academy Award um, of, of that year. It didn't actually win, but I believe it was a nominated film. I think I've got that correct. I think I think you, you're correct there as well. I mean, he was getting to be known in the art house circle in the States, especially with films like Soldier of Orange and Turkish Delight. That's right. And uh, Spetters, don't forget Spetters. Well, Soldiers of Orange as well was where he worked with Jerome Crabb again, wasn't it? Yeah. I believe Jerome Crabb was in that film as well. And uh, um, yeah, yeah. So, so you're absolutely right. Yes, he, he was he was making a name for himself. And, uh, you, you know, I, I think in terms of um, genre and uh, style and marketability, um, you, you know, this particular film I could see why the sort of Hollywood execs would would you know take him as a as a contender to to sort of deliver the the, the type of stuff that he went on to do. Yeah, Absolutely. and also the fact that his films were the highest grossing films in his country. Yes, you know, yes, that, and that always presses Hollywood's buttons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you can see it, but yes, we are we are now going to start getting into uh, spoiler territory, folks. Yes. So spoiler alert. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you should know we spoil the hell out of these things anyway. But <laughs> the thing is, it's it's a it's a film that you know is thirty is over thirty years old. So, this is true. This is true. You know, we we've given it enough time. Yes. <laughs> it is it is available on Tartan DVD. If if, if anybody's uh, out there wants to get hold of it, it is it is on the Tartan DVD label. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. which is good. Yeah. All right, so getting into spoilers. Um, so we learn that um, each one of her husbands have, has had a grisly end. And um, she's always seems to have been there filming it when it happens. And she does little gestures in the filming that make it look like she had planned for these things to go wrong. Yeah. So her first husband dies because of a parachute accident. And before he jumps, you see her doing like a scissors movement with her hands. Yeah. Again, again scissors, scissors play a, um, a massive part in this. And the other thing I do like is the fact that, again, you know, film within film. Yes. Uh, I love the fact that you're, you're absolutely right. She documents everything with an eight millimeter camera. And um, that plays very heavy. In fact, um, that's how that's how uh, Jerome Crabbe's character sort of uh, suspects something's wrong. Is not just through her behaviour, but he actually does 
while he's writing his novel, he finds the films, doesn't he? In he her, finds uh... the films, but he is drunk when he's watching them. So he doesn't really, he, he uh, when he's watching them, he's not quite understanding what's happening. Mm-hmm. So he sees, you know, it, it, it always ends before anything happens. You, she never, she never sort of films the death or anything, and so the second one got, you know, moiled by a, a, a lion in a, in a safari park. Yeah. But he did get out of the car with that, some meat. With some meat, I, yeah. I, that, that actually kind of again, again, you know, Verhoeven's got this very much sort of this um, sick satirical black mm. humor about a lot of a lot of the films he does, and that 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 I have to say that that really. Even even though it's nasty and gruesome, that actually did kind of make me chuckle because uh, it's it's kind of ridiculous. You've got this guy with a massive steak, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, kind of wafting it around in front of the, uh, the 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 lion at the safari park, and you sort of think, uh, "What an idiot!" <laughs> exactly. I mean, this guy, you know, he would be up for the Darwin Awards. He's that <laughs> stupid. And then the third husband. We, we assume dies in a boating accident because you don't see him. You see he's a fisherman, you see him go off, but then that's where the film ends. So it's not until near the end where um, Gerard has finally met Herman because up to, up to sort of three quarters of the way through the film, he's kind of, you know, he hasn't really met him. He hasn't really spoken to him, uh, but he is, uh, you know, infatuated with him. Yes, very much. And so... They finally they go out for a drive, and um, they stop off at a, <clears throat> at a graveyard, and it starts to rain. So they run into uh, one of the crypts, and um, at this point, uh, Gerard is um, seducing Herman, and Herman seems to be going for his charms. And so, in the middle of what would you know should be, I guess. Um, a victorious moment for Gerard because he's he's got the object of his passion. He sees these three urns, which mm. are the urns of Christine's husbands. And in his head, he fills in how these guys got killed. You then see the um the first husband parachute fell and hit the ground. You see the second husband get attacked from behind by another lion. And then the third, and then the third husband you see getting um, killed by a, a motorboat, but he's not seen this; it's all in his head, and he is convinced that Herman is going to be the fourth man. Yeah, he's convinced that he's, and he tries to, you know, he tries to save him. He tries to convince him that Christine is this sort of femme fatale, black widow, and he won't have any of it. And the driving back really fast <laughs> back to the house when an accident happens where Herman gets killed. Which is the one dodgy effect in the film. Yeah. Is, is, but, that's not that yeah. great. But it's... But, they're, they're, but throughout the film, you'd seen this image of Herman with his eye gouged out. Well, right right back to when he has the dream about the hotel and there's the door with the with the eye hanging out. So again, it's, it's, it's completely yeah. foreshadowed throughout the entire film. Um, plot and so the premonitions he's been getting or dreams have been more about herman's death than it has been about his own death yes and of course you know but he is this this thing you know he is uh distraught after it 
you know, and he's taken to hospital and he is convinced that Christine is has planned this murder and that she's behind it. Yeah. And the doctors say, no, this poor woman, this poor woman has lost three husbands. You know, she's she's just been really unlucky. And to say that she was the cause of this death is ridiculous. And and, and of course, we see the nurse called Mary Mm-hmm. who he's seen throughout in all these, all these dreams. The sort yeah. of, he's kind of guardian angel. Well, it's it's, it's great because she's wearing the blue, um, you know, nurses thing, but also she stood underneath the red cross. So again, it's got all of this, um, y- 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 you know, as every filmmaker should, everything that's seen and heard is important to, to plot and character. And, um, you know, Verhoeven's put it throughout this entire film. So the imagery and the mise-en-scene and everything is, is all there, you know? It's great. The thing is, when you come away from this film, you don't know if Christine is actually a, a Black Widow or not, or if that she is just unlucky. Because the fourth man was killed by an accident, you know, where she she had no involvement at all. She wasn't even there. She didn't even witness it. That it throws doubt on um Gerard's theory of her being a black widow. But he just throws in this other thing just to say, but maybe she is uh-huh. because she goes away at the end with what could potentially be the fifth man, <laughs> which is this guy who's into extreme sports. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, she doesn't have to get through him, doesn't she? Yeah, Bloody yeah, hell, <laughs> yeah. But it, as a viewer, you were convinced that she was going to kill him, that yes. at some point she was, you know, she was going to take her scissors out and kill him and, you know, or, or arrange some sort of accident. Yeah. Because you were there with Gerard throughout the whole film. It really is a great film. I mean, I, I you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this um, and I thought it really worked, you know? Um, yeah. I, I, I just think, I just think, you know, the more I think about it, you know, us having this conversation now, you just realize how, how well crafted it is. And the fact that like, like you said, ev- everything's symbolic, everything's, you know, foreshadowed, everything has a double meaning and, um, you, you, you know you've got this iconography throughout of of scissors and and you, you know video uh, not video cameras film cameras, cameras and, yeah. and you know all of this it kind of mixes mixes up all of the sort of artistic side with with paranoia and sexuality and and violence and yeah it, it's just all there i mean it is it is it is a um a sort of quintessential poor Verhoeven film, isn't it? In many respects, even in his even in his native language. Yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. no, it's so, yeah. it's well worth checking out, and um, it does make me want to go back and check out his other work from the the Netherlands. So oh, definitely. I mean, yeah. well, this this is again, this is this is kind of one of the reasons we do this, isn't it? Um, I mean, these these are very personal podcasts, and they're very much about what we think and what inspired us and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's it's about discover discovering new work as well, and um, y- y- you know, um, going back and having a look at uh, particularly when we talk about you know, older directors and stuff going back and looking at some of their early work that we might not be so aware of. So, you know, this, this, this is absolutely one of those films 
Um, you know, as I said, I could have talked for hours on total recall and and but you know most people have probably already heard it <laughs> whereas whereas i thought this might be just an opportunity to to celebrate um you, you know one of our one of our foreign film directors for once and yeah. uh yeah and 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 glad glad we did too <laughs> well let's let's move on to uh to my pick um from from now on, it's all American films. They're all it English is, language. It is. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, but yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, and and this yeah. this film that you're talking about is awesome. So you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's... yes. Well, he's part man. He's part machine. <laughs> he's all he's cop. All cop. <laughs> Robocop. <laughs> Robocop. Who is he? What is he? Where did he come from? <laughs> Indeed. The quotable film. <laughs> it's very quotable. Well, uh, it's the the script was written by Ed Newmyer and Michael Miner, and uh, Ed Newmyer would go on to to work with uh, Paul Verhoeven again when he did Starship Troopers. And um, the the one story I love um, about Paul Verhoeven was that he was offered this film and he turned it down straight away because it was like. Uh, I don't want to do a stupid film about a robot. And it was actually his wife read the script and said, no, 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 you need to read this. And he did. And he loved it. And one of the reasons why he loved it was because he saw in it this idea of, um, you know, of of Jesus, that Robocop in some ways was like Jesus, that he was a man who had died, who'd been crucified in a hell of gunfire and he'd come back but instead of teaching peace and love <laughs> he was there to kick ass indeed indeed <laughs> yeah I, I mean i i have to admit it's one of those films that um you know once once i became an adult and watched it i had a completely different level of appreciation for it than than, than when i saw it you, you know as as a as a teen or preteen or whatever um you you know back back then i thought it was you know a cool sci-fi film and i liked you know the 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 action and the technology and the hardware and and all of that sort of cool stuff but um yeah when when you when you watch it you you know you know more mature uh with more life experience behind you as, as an adult and you see the fact that uh Yes, there are, there are like like much of his work, many other themes going on there. Uh, you, you know, it's it's very much a satire, and um, you, you know, a a kind of um, piss take statement almost on um, on society, uh, and, and and you know all of those good things, you know, laden into a kick ass action movie with loads of cool tech. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say piss take. I would say more social commentary. I mean, I, social commentary, exactly. That's that's the word I was scrambling for. Yeah, I mean the the idea of what would happen if corporations really took over. I mean, you you this was made in the height of the uh, Reagan era, where you know we just at the same time as we had Gordon Gecko in Wall Street saying greed is good, and the idea that our that American cities were being run by corporations, that the cops were being run by this, uh, you know, corporation called OCP. Mm-hmm. 
And they, of course, were looking for ways to improve the police because the police they had already just wasn't good enough. So for those who don't know the story, the story is that um, OCP are going to make Delta City on the ruins of old Detroit. And for them to do that, to have all these workers come in, they need the streets to be cleaned up. So one of the CEOs, uh, Dick Jones, played by Ronnie Cox, comes up with the idea of Ed 209, this hulky machine that, um, you know, it's it's like a tank on legs. <laughs> and the problem is it fucks up. Majorly. <laughs> it kills one of the executives. I mean, how the guy is still breathing, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, he is chopped liver after after you know meeting ed 209 and so a younger sort of uh, exec uh, bob morton played by miguel ferrer uh he comes up with this idea of of the robocop initiative the idea of taking a cop who gets killed in the line of duty and turning him into a cyborg and so enter um officer murphy who is um you know, transferred from Detroit South. And, uh, of course, on his first day, he meets uh, Clarence Bodica and his gang. And Clarence Bodica is a cop killer. He has notched himself up a high kill count. And it's, it's so high that the police actually want to go on strike because they, 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 they just, you know, they don't have the manpower, they don't have any backup, and they are being picked off one by one. And so they release Robocop onto the streets and he starts to clean up crime. And and of course, it turns out that Clarence Bodica is involved with um, Dick Jones. And and of course, Robocop finds this out and tries to arrest Dick Jones. But because he's property, because he's, you know, he belongs to the corporation, he can't turn on his creators. So he then fights with Clarence Bodica in the gang and then confronts Dick Jones at the end where he gets fired. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and has the best ending, I have to say. It's one of those endings that does make you want to jump up and uh, punch your hand in the air. Yeah, very much. And, you know, um, you have... Um, it's funny, he's called the old man. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this is Dan O'Hurley. And uh, he goes, uh, uh, good shooting, son. What's your name? And he just turns around and he goes, Murphy. And that's the end. And you go, yeah. Yeah, no, it's very cool. And, and I, I want to say, what makes that ending so great is because when he becomes Robocop, he loses his identity. He becomes this um, product. I mean, even have one of these executives uh, talk to uh, Officer Lewis, played by Nancy Allen. He's not a person. He's a product. And he has lost his memory and he and he's lost his identification. But by the end of that film, he's regained it. He's discovered again who he was. But also now that he's something different. But you, when he turned around and says he's Murphy, you can tell that he's accepted that, yes, he is Murphy, but he is also Robocop. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it really is a very well-crafted um, uh, film indeed. I mean, it, it is a very good social satire, absolutely. Um, but also, you know, everything, that it's, it's got a very good cast um, in this. 
uh, and everything down to, you, you know, the production design and the 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 effects and everything. I mean, Phil Phil Tippett was responsible for the uh, Ed two hundred nine um, stop motion. Uh, That's it. Uh, Rob Bottin was responsible for the RoboCop suit. Exactly. So 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 you you know pe- people sort of at the top of their game uh, in this. It, it did make a, a lot of stars out of um, Peter Weller. It, it did make him a household name. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, Peter Robocop Weller was kind of what he was, <laughs> what he was known as for decades afterwards. But uh... Yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, nobody remembers him as Buckaroo Banzai. Right, yes, yeah. Which was the film he'd done before this. Yeah. So, Which I still haven't seen, by the way. <laughs> oh, it's, it's fun. It's one of those films um, you have to be in the right frame of mind to watch it because it's a little bit of a mess, but it's a, it's an enjoyable mess. I mean, I am um, I was around at a friend's house recently and they had a party and they put this on and it's just not the environment to watch this film because there's so much going on. But uh, if you're in the right frame of mind and you're... You sit down and watch it. It's it's very enjoyable. I I like I like that film a lot. Yeah. But um, I mean, Peter Weller's great in the role. He he owns the role, and amazing to think that you know he actually went to mime class so that he could get the movement down because it's his movements that sells the sort of robotic side of it. Oh, totally. I mean, you, you know, and very and very uncomfortable. I would imagine you know from a from a working point of view. He lost a lot of weight. They were shooting in Texas, in Dallas, in like one of their hottest summers. And so he literally was, you know, he would, he'd lose most of his body weight every day. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know if you ever saw the behind the scenes video. I have watched all of it. Yeah. 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 But I mean, this was one of these behind the scenes videos that had its own release on VHS. That's right. It did. Yes. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they would always show out the shootout scene in the uh, the warehouse at the the drugs den, and whenever you saw Peter Weller or the stunt double, they always sort of like had part of the um, RoboCop suit on, so you could always see their face and you could always see their hands. That was actually quite vogue at the time in the sort of late eighties, because I remember they had those sort of. Uh behind the scenes vhs is available for um like die hard and predator and 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 other titles as well it was one of those obviously this was pre-dvd and it was before you could have any um uh, extras being with the film as such so yes i do remember them releasing those things in fact I, i remember i i did you know own them and have them in my uh in my collection at the time because you know obviously a film nerd i definitely had the robocop one i don't think i um, I, I think it was also because, um, do you remember that the, the making of Thriller? Yes. Cause that was, I think that was the first time when you saw something like that, even though it was the making of a music video, but it was, you know, the equivalent of a, a film shoot. I mean, it was such a, a big budget. Yeah. It's bizarre when you see it today, isn't it? That, that, uh, that, you, you know, I, I mean, the younger listeners, if we have any, um, you know, <laughs> they just take this for granted now that, that, you know, there's so much info out there about filmmaking. And uh, back in the day, yeah, the, the, these were sort of few and far between. And some of them, I mean, I remember the, the, the Die Hard one and the Predator ones were very much just sort of 
um, EPKs, really. They were sort of extended yeah, yeah. trailers. <laughs> oh, yeah. So was the making of Robocop. It was 20 minutes and it, it was mostly sort of talking heads and uh, just showing that shootout scene. I mean, especially with Kurtwood Smith being thrown through the glass several times. Uh-huh. A... Cool to see, though. I work for Dick Jones. I work for Dick Jones. Dick Jones runs the... Um, he, he runs OCP. OCP runs the cup. You're a cop. Yeah. I just love that. Yes, I am a cop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Kurt, Kurtwood mm. Smith is great in this. Uh, Ronnie mm. Cox is, is superb in this. You know, I mean, yes, the, you know, the, the, there's, there's not like a, there's not a, like a duff performance across the no, entire not, film. Not at, all. Um, not at all. I mean, it, it's great that, um, that uh, Clarence Brodicker's gang, very much individual so you could tell who was who so you had uh emil um who oh god did he he has a grisly end when he plows into that uh vat of chemicals and he comes out and his skin is just dripping i off. remember chris oh. laughing hysterically at that also I, I, I think i think i think chris chris was probably you know when we were younger a more advanced viewer than me because i i yeah. think i think chris got the um you, you know you know got some of the uh the the, the humor and um uh you know those sort of things and some of the satire in it that uh maybe maybe when i was younger was going more over my head and i was kind of like oh that's cool action <laughs> yeah so but yeah no it, it, it was it, it was very very grisly <laughs> his demise well yeah i mean also i mean you've got uh ray wise who's great as as leon who's sort of um I would say he was the ladies' man. I mean, when uh, Robocop captures him in the nightclub <laughs> and they're doing the whole dancing thing. I mean, that scene's brilliant because um, you got Verhoeven in there as well. As oh, that's right. Yes, you have. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, there's two cameos of Verhoeven in it. There's there's that one, and then the advert for the car with dinosaurs. He's one of the passers. He's one of the pedestrians, sort of screaming, pointing up at one of the dinosaurs. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the ads themselves are, are amazing also, aren't they? Um, yeah. You know, yeah. again, so well done. Oh, God, yes. Yes. Oh, um, here at the Hearts, Heart Centre, you know, Yamaha, you picked the heart. <laughs> <laughs> and remember, we care. We care. Absolutely. And, of course, yeah, Newcomb, you know. Um, Pakistan's threatening my border. That's it, Buster. There's no more aid. And um, oh god, yeah. This I'm trying to think of all the other ones. There's loads. There's some, there are some great. There's there's some really great ones, and they they all sort of taking the piss out of consumerism. Well, yeah, but at current adverts because Nukem was kind of like battleship. And, oh, that's uh, right. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and the whole thing with the, the the heart transplant, you know, that was like you know for your local doctors and stuff, and it had all that video look to it, and and you know that that worked really well i have to say one of the other things i i love about this film is the use of pov mm-hmm. because we it, it it gets us to side with robocop a lot with the use of pov so there's a whole bit after his death where he comes online and for until he reaches the police station you don't see him you don't see what he looks like yeah which i think is great because it's a gradual reveal and um yeah, but just I I was before we did this, I was watching an interview with Verhoeven, and he said that wasn't his idea to do that. It was the DOP's idea of doing that, and 
let me just see uh the dop Yost, was just Yost, the can- Fikino, Yost, yeah or whatever yeah. yeah that's it yeah and um and verhoven was saying in this interview that he loves working with people and he loves listening to ideas because he feels he doesn't know everything he knows what's a good idea he knows what he wants to do but when he hears a, a great idea like that he will go with it and it, it does it works so well and then it also plays in with his when he starts to remember things fragments of his past like when he goes to the house mm-hmm. and walks through there and he remembers his wife and his kids the whole captain laser thing and all that yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. and we had kind of seen a, a bit of that TJ when he laser. was <laughs> <laughs> yeah can you do that dad <laughs> um you know when he's when he's dying you see bits of that and you also see flashbacks of his death as well and it's all these things help to get you on side of the character which if you if you didn't have that then this film just wouldn't work no it wouldn't it wouldn't be the you know the classic that it well is. it is a classic and it and it does work and i mean it is it is great i think as a film in its own right um i know obviously it has spun a, a massive franchise although yes i have to say that that personally um whether it be sequels spin-offs reboots etc um the the you, you know I, I always felt that the the, the sequels etc kind of missed the point Yes. <laughs> I mean, like the, the the second film. I mean, I know it was directed by Irvin Kershner and Frank Miller was involved with the script and things of that nature. But I always remember being very, very disappointed with the um, with the sequel. It, it was. Um, I would say the only good thing that came out of RoboCop Two was the game. I loved the game of that on the Amiga. Right. But uh, yeah, it was it was kind of disappointing. I mean, especially that middle part where he has all his um, commands updated to all this weird, crappy stuff. And um, I imagine on paper it looked hilarious, but in execution it was terrible. I even hated the fact they gave him a blue rinse. <laughs> mm, yeah, I preferred the yeah. silver and black. You know, <laughs> that's it. Um, right. So talking about the sequel. Now, do you remember at the end of RoboCop where um, Officer Lewis is lying there in the water after she's been, she's just, you know, she's been shot mm-hmm. and she's blown up the guy and and she goes, Murphy, I'm a mess. And RoboCop says, they fix, they'll fix you. They, they fix everything. When he said that, I always envisioned that the sequel was that him and her were both going to be RoboCops. Oh, that right, she had okay. been shot up so badly that she was going to need some sort of work as well. <laughs> that's how I saw it. I mean, I, come on, I was quite young at the time. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, when I this think... film came out, so yeah, I don't think that's a bad. But that's thing how I, <laughs> but that's how I envisioned it. I mean, what did you envision for the, the sequel to Robocop? I, I, I don't know. I mean, I was kind of. I remember I was sort of excited at the idea because, because you know, I'd always liked this idea of franchise and, you know, that, that if something was cool, you'd get more of it and tell more stories and, and you know, expand the universe. I always kind of liked the idea of that. But as I said, I remember seeing Robocop 2 and just being extremely disappointed by it. Um, you, you know, I, I, I sort of... I sort of felt that it had missed the point and it didn't, it didn't really fit. It felt like a very different film apart from Robocop himself, but uh, even he, they, they yeah. toned down and um, 
it, it, it just barely got an 18 rating, really. <laughs> well, I mean, then they, then they went and they, they launched animated series and a television yes, spin-off yeah. and all, all sorts of different things. And, of course, the third movie was a, obviously Peter Weller wasn't doing it at that point, but that that no. that was a bit of a mess, having him, you know, with a sort of flying oh, yeah. jetpack and... You know, I did like the machine gun arm, but that was about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I have to say, this is a sort of a uh, personal antidote, but um, when we were working on Blood and Roses, one of our actors was called Kane. So um, both me and Benjamin would always go, where is Kane? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> From Robocop 2. But um, yeah, uh, you know... It, it had some things in there. I mean, yeah, it was just it just wasn't a patch on the original, and they, and also the 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 remake was just awful. I was going to say just, I, it was just very. Yeah, vanilla. I wonder whether we were going to go there with the uh, with the remake of a what two or three years ago, whenever it was. Now I've lost yeah, track, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was very sort of underwhelmed by that. Um, in fact, I thought I actually thought, you know, I, I know there's a lot of people who. Um, totally slag off the the the, the total recall reimagining but i actually thought that the robot the robocop one was was worse um you know it, it really yeah i sort of felt that they'd they'd missed the point they tried they tried to go a different way with it but um yeah i think the problem is is that um they just don't have the patience anymore with the problem with both of those remakes was that they just seem to be the same story but kind of on crack mm-hmm there's so much happens so quickly and um, you just don't really give a damn. I mean, the the thing about, you know, with, with Murphy's death is that you actually care about the character. You've seen enough to, to like him and, you know, but you, but you've not spent, you don't spend that amount of, you just spend about the right amount of time with him to sort of care about him. Uh, with the other Officer Murphy, not really so, not not that much, to tell the truth. I didn't really care. I mean, it was... Well, of course, they had to tone down as well everything. Well, yes, this is the other thing as well. You're talking about two films that were 18s when they came out and the pre- their, their remakes were both 12As. Yeah, yeah. well, because obviously yeah. they're ploughing so much money into it that they, they've got to get the widest audience possible. I mean, this is that Hollywood thing. And... Um... You know, from an economics point of view, I understand. But, you, you know, at the same time, from an artistic point of view, it, it kind of ends up getting right. I mean, you, you, you know, the, 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 the death, in inverted commas, of Murphy in the original Robocop, as we've already stated, is, is pretty horrific. Even, even, it's, horrific. even in its original released version, let alone the... Uh, the slightly more graphic um, director's cut version, but it, it's 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 horrible, and it's not it's done nastily as well, and it's just bad. Whereas in in the in the reimagining, um, you, you, you know, he there's a, there's a bomb in the car, right, and he blows up yeah. in that, and, and, and it's it. off camera yeah. as well, if memory serves. And um, that's right, he, fl- he flies off. Screen, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you, you know, obviously. Um, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have anywhere near the same impact uh, on the viewer, you know. And the other thing as well is he doesn't die. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is the whole thing about Robocop is that he technically died and was brought back to life. 
And also, I mean, yeah, it is a it's a Jesus metaphor. I mean, the fact is, there's one point where you see Robocop walk walking on water mm-hmm. at the you know the final uh, battle scene where they're in that sort of uh, warehouse That's right. precinct. Yeah. And you actually see him walking on water. I mean, it doesn't get more blatant than no, that. No, no. I mean, this is this is where this is where you know again, like we were referring to with the fourth man. This is where Verhoeven is 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 very good because you, you know he he's ev- everything the way he designs his films and his shots and etc. Ev- everything's always got another meaning there, another layer. You know that, that that kind of doesn't take away from the main story, but it's but it's 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 there psychologically, subconsciously, whatever. Sometimes very blatant, indeed. But you know, it, it's the fact that it's there. And uh, I felt, I mean, I only saw the uh, the reimagining the once, and uh, it's quite, I found it quite forgettable. Um, there was nothing really that kind of. Uh, it stood out. I mean, I liked all the sort of nods and winks and references to the original. Um, but, you know, and, I, and I, I respect the fact they were trying to do something different with it. Uh, I, I get that rather than just doing a, a straight remake. They were going more for this sort of reimagining along with the franchise reboot. But it was it just kind of, yeah, it, it wasn't anything special, was it? <laughs> no, I, I, I personally think they should just have dropped the Robocop tag they shouldn't they shouldn't they they shouldn't have used that ip they should have come up with something else but the thing is now these days people have to know what the film is about they have to have heard of it or know that there was originally a film of it somewhere so it's yeah it was yeah it was a mess and i i again i've seen it the once and uh don't particularly plan to go back and see it again now, when it came out, I had a bit of a, because I tend to do this, I tend to be a bit of a completist, and I had a little bit of a RoboCop marathon when it came out. So I actually, I watched I watched the original three RoboCop films. I also, right. um, I watched the, the, dare I say it, the pilot of the television series, which, trust me, just right. watching the pilot was enough. Oh, God, dear. Yeah, it's awful. And I also watched, they, they released about five TV movies um, yes. that were made, I guess, in the early noughties, I, I want to say, um, that were supposed, I'd always read quite good things about them, that the, you know, that the production values were good and it was darker and all this sort of thing. But now nah, I really wasn't impressed by any of those no, either. No. Uh, they were called, what is it? Prime directives. I think it was called something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, yeah. very forgettable. I, I, I skipped them. Again. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I managed, I managed to sort of pick them up for, uh, I got the collection on, dvd for like two pounds or something crazy like that for the five films and yeah i mean i i watched them sort of back to back but yeah i can't really say i remember much about any of it i just remember it not being particularly good <laughs> yeah well dead or alive you're coming with indeed me. um <laughs> Well, I think we're going to leave it there for Robocop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this, this the Verhoeven film, which is obviously what we're here to speak about, um, is absolutely a classic. a classic and uh, is just very entertaining and works on so many levels and is a great action movie and a great social satire. And um, yeah, it, 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 it's well made and well acted. And, and yeah, I recommend it to anyone. Absolutely. That's it. (laughs) 
So if you give us five minutes, we'll give you the world. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so quotable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. We're going to move on to our movie house uh, just after these messages. Do you like science fiction and fantasy? Do you like things to be rigorously or rather obsessively alphabetized? Then do we have the show for you. The A to Z of SFF takes a wry, lightly fictionalized approach to the compulsive breaking over of pop culture artifacts that make up so much of today's podcastosphere. We cover everything from Aaron A. Aardvark to Zardoz and all points in between. Zardoz might be a welcoming mind. We've been at this for a year and we haven't finished the A's yet. The A to Z of SFF, a podcast of epic triviality. Two men, 26 letters, one universe. Search for us on iTunes or your favourite podcast app as the A to Z of SFF. Or check out our website, the A to Z of SFF.com. What's the matter, Jane? It's kind of hard to explain. I can't put my finger on it, but there's definitely something wrong. Jane? I suppose we can't expect her to get over it just like that. You always be past this. It's so, so brave. Why is it so pretty in here? It's just the dawn, Jane. You have to take her to the hospital. Have her placed under constant watch. Well, that much I know, but who done it? You don't even try and stop me. You know I'm going to harm you, yet you do nothing. What about that wonderful husband of yours? Oh, Martin. I love him. Or someone has to die. Blood and Roses. Available now on Amazon.com. On DVD and video on demand. So, you're making a film. Horror film. Meta horror film. And horror film about horror film. Horror film about cinema. And why would you do that? Life is so beautiful. You just have something in your eye. I thought you said you wanted to do something different. Why do the same thing that everyone else is doing? It drives me mad. They all have opinion on everything. Nobody listens to me. Nobody tries to understand anything. Just too much. I found out recently that I had a, a syndrome when I was younger. When I try to go to sleep, the whole world will change. Like everything will go too quick, too slow, or too big, too small. I could control it. Benny Loves Killing. Available now on Vimeo and IndieFlix. And if they don't go for it, 
excellent them all. So, Keith, what is your pick for movie hell? Right, okay. Well, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I like, I like most of Verhoeven's films. <laughs> it was, it was hard to, uh, to, to, to pick a movie hell out of what I'd seen. Um, but there was one film that I hadn't seen, and I thought to myself, how bad can this be? I thought to myself, <laughs> let's just look at this a minute. This is going to be a film where beautiful women run around naked. Uh, what's not to like? Okay. How, how wrong I was. I am, of course, talking <laughs> about 1995 film Showgirls, um, which uh, was a uh, erotic drama film that he made um, following the success of uh, Basic Instinct and uh, Starship Troopers, right? And uh, it was just kind of... Yeah, I mean, okay. Let, let let let's 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 talk a little bit about this. As as I said, I well, Ashley, can I just correct you? Starship Troopers came after came after this. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. In fact, I'm I'm amazed he made anything after this. Sometimes this, uh, this this was just you, you know you know me. Any anyone who listens to this regular, they know, and I, I take the piss out of myself about this. It tends to be. Yeah movie heaven movie well this is okay but didn't quite work because of this or whatever um i can safely say in in this particular instance that this is definitely movie hell i mean i've got you know there's there's sort of no redeeming qualities to this whatsoever um it's it's uh i mean it, it's another collaborate it, it was it was made by um you know, Mario Cassar and the Carol Co, you know, film company yeah. at the time. And it's almost, it's one of those, to me, it's one of those examples of success uh, leads to having way too much money. Um, and it just makes me think, did they even know when they were making it how, how you know, bad this was? I think at the end of the day, nobody sets out to make a well, bad exactly. film. Exactly. I think it's 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 usually when when you see the final product is when you've either realised you've got a bad film or you're very delusioned and you go actually I've got a great film. But I think one of the people to blame for this mess and it is a mess is Joe Esterhaus. Yeah, which is surprising because obviously this is coming off the back of. You know, he had success with Basic Instinct, which is a really good thriller and a really good film and a, a great script. So to, to then be given the keys to the kingdom and then come up with this is just kind of. Mm. Well, the thing about Joe Esterhaus, and he says this himself because I, I read a book of his and he's, he's very. Oh, is that Hollywood Animal? Is that the one? No, oh, okay. no, 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 no. This is this is completely different. Um I actually was given a copy by Rob for for Christmas. Oh right, okay. And um, but the thing is, um, when he wrote Basic Instinct, he did it in like a week, and people assumed that he'd spent ages researching it because they said, "Oh, the cops in it—they so seem to be so real." Yet, um, Michael Douglas, as the detective, he misses out clues. <laughs> you know, that are like right in his face. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I think, you know, again, when it came to this, Joe Esterhausen just came up with this 
I know fantasy about Vegas, mm. and it 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 does feel absolutely made up. It, it make it feels like bloody flash dance. I mean, flash dance is was never a thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, here, here's the thing. I'm, and 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 first of all, I will say I do understand before in case people are screaming because I know I know there's there are lovers of this film out there. I know it's got a bit of a sort of cult uh, following, and I do understand that you know a lot of Verhoeven's work is about satire. OK, so I, I kind of I get that. However, um, this this film just doesn't, in, in my opinion, just doesn't work on any level at all. I mean, it, it shows the the, the, the the seedy side of show business, you know, the sort of sex, drugs and rock and roll side of of show business. Yeah. Um, and, you, you know, which which. OK, that's that's probably the point. I get that. Um, but. The, the problem with it is it is just filled with negative cliches and stereotypes right from the the, the very start to the end and if it, it and if it wasn't so well sort of lit designed and choreographed i would have thought exactly what you said from a story point of view and an acting point of view it really did feel like they were literally making this up as they went along because um you, you know the, the the story you know it doesn't it doesn't hold up um the characters none of them learn anything or or or, or seem to go on any journeys to change it's just it's just full of of of, of sort of horrible stereotypes really mm. um i mean you've got you know yes i mean it, you, you know there are there are stunningly beautiful um, women in this however um you, you know that they're they're portrayed as you, you know not particularly nice or particularly intelligent people um obviously you've got the, the story centers around elizabeth berkeley's character who's who's um you know hitchhiking to to, to vegas to go and make it big and uh you, you know she she plays you know, I, I have to say, you know, the, the typical sort of naive bimbo character in this. Right. Um, can I can I can I just stop you there? Because I think I, I'm not I'm not sort of going to defend this character, but I'm going to say this. I think the problem with the main character is she comes off at, immediately as somebody who's streetwise, yet completely naive. And those two things kind of just don't blend very well. So she's. In, she gets, you know, picked up by this hitchhiker who's kind of like an Elvis impersonator or a fan because he's got the whole Elvis thing going on. And he kind of, you know, tries to, you know, suggest that maybe he she should, you know, you know, have sex with him or something like that. And she pulls out a flick knife. And, you know, she she looks like she's about to stab him. Yet she lets this guy run off with her luggage and it just it just throughout the whole film that's her character is that she seems to be somebody who's totally streetwise wants knows what she wants to get but then is completely naive and um you know and it's just, it's really it's such a frustrating character yeah i mean because oh it's so frustrating you, you know i mean i mean don't get me wrong you know she is she is stunningly beautiful and she's a very good dancer and and things of that nature um, but she just seems to, in this film anyway, just seems to have 
you know, two acting modes and it's going from being, you, you know, dumb and wide eyed and confused about everything or, you, you know, flying off the handle and being, you know, uh, bitchy and angry about stuff. And there doesn't seem to be any any middle ground whatsoever. It's 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 kind of awful, really. And the slightest thing will set her off as yeah. well. It's just oh. and and the other thing is, I mean, you you don't you you know you know you the lead character as an audience in most cases, you know whether they're whether they're a, a hero or an anti-hero, you're you're supposed to kind of be with them and and sort of rooting mm. for them. But as she gets more and more, and again, I'm, I'm sure this is the point, and and I'm not saying I'm missing it, but um, you know, as she gets more and more embroiled into this world into following her dream you, you know she she gets nastier and nastier to the to the point where you have no empathy for, for this character whatsoever at least I didn't you know um I found I found this to watch I actually found it um uh you, you know painful I, I was I was quite literally in fact you and you and I we don't normally talk or text or anything like that <laughs> and, I, and i remember that you and i were texting backwards and forwards every like five minutes and i was just saying is there a story there oh my god i can't believe i'm only 20 minutes in and this is terrible already and you you, you know and, I, and i'm and i'm as people would know who know me and and, and maybe listening to the podcast i'm fairly forgiving with most things but but this i i, I just really really thought was 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 bad yeah I, I i i will say that uh when i originally watched this um um i had i used to watch saved by the bell uh which starred elizabeth berkeley in it oh right and she was playing one of the um the the school kids there you know you know what it's like 20 year olds playing teenagers usually standard fare back in the uh, 80s and early 90s. And uh, so when I heard that she was in this film called Showgirls where she does nudity and stuff, I was like, oh, I'm well up to this. (laughs) This is the most unsexy, unerotic film I've ever seen. It really... It's not a turn-on, it's a turn-off. Well, no, yeah, because, I mean, it's it's very degrading uh to women i mean it it is it is kind of you, you know as i said at the beginning it is it is the 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 sleazy side of show business um and uh you, you know it's got you know you've 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 got a reasonably good cast of actors in this but my god i mean you, you know there's not one standout performance here oh i have to say i did love robert davy in did this did you i thought i oh thought my he my god i thought it was right. awful okay yeah the part was awful but boy did he own it i i liked him and i liked um i think her name was henrietta she was the big woman that would go on stage and um, yeah yeah well she had this top that would flash yeah yeah (laughs) but i mean the the thing was the 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 thing I, i i i liked about those two characters were that when they came back to see her when she's at the um at the casino uh, being like one of the background performers you kind of realize how much even though they were sort of at the sleazier end of the sort of erotic dancing lap dancing uh market that they were actual proper human beings or characters that you could get behind and once they'd gone they were kind of you you missed them 
when they came back, I actually actually missed those two characters, and I wish they would come back and be in it more. Even though the Robert Davy character is really horrible. Yeah, I, I was there thinking, you know, I can't believe this. This was, you know, the the guy who was a a Bond villain and Special Agent Johnson and all this sort of thing. And I was like, now he's in this, and oh, it was just. But come on, given given the material that he has. He does kind of shine in it. Yeah, I think he is—he is one of the best things in this. Well, film. It, the, the the problem the problem with it is, and and here's the thing: is it, let, let, let's just let's just look at the characters, okay? First of all, so you've got you've got Gina Gershon is in this, um, looking, you know, she's she's absolutely in the best shape ever. I mean, this is something I'm sure she'll be showing her grandkids in years to come. You know, <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah. you know, she she's beautiful, but she plays. The, the sort of diva diva bitch in this basically that uh that elizabeth berkeley you know looks up to and kind of idolizes at the beginning but is, yeah. is she a nice character you, you, you know not not particularly no she she's actually um she's got the hots for uh for elizabeth berkeley's character she's, she's kind of like this weird lesbian that doesn't do anything yeah you can so tell this was written by a by a, a guy right yeah um, and then <laughs> yeah. you've got like yeah. you, you know i mean this 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 whole film it's all about the 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 sort of decadence um and, and wealth um of you you know the, the the people in this world and you've got like again a great actor you've got carl mclaughlin in this oh but God, he yeah. is playing just the ultimate wealthy sleaze um guy that's that you know wears designer suits and drives concept cars and obviously there's nothing wrong with that we'd all like to be doing that but but it's just a complete and utter sleaze bag in 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 every sense of the word and 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 again i was just like really this is all he's doing in this is just coming out with 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 lines and just being a complete ass basically so you've got you've got yeah. him you, and then and then let's just look at the sort of lineup of dancers okay when we're talking about stereotypes here right obviously we've already said elizabeth burley uh, berkeley's kind of the uh, you know essentially a blonde bimbo wide-eyed um you know naive but turns into a bitch during the course of this film well she doesn't turn into a bitch she is she's a bitch throughout the whole yeah, thing she is yeah i mean and, and she's, yeah, she's straight off the bat she is but, you, yeah, but you've also very. got let's let's look at the lineup you you've, okay. you've got the the, the 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 black woman with the bad attitude you know you've got the um camp gay guy uh you, you know who's always making you know jokes about men and sexuality you've got the large lady that uh makes fun of herself and tells crude jokes about herself um you, you know you've just got every, every kind of basic um stereotype that you can imagine but none of them there was only one character and then it lets it down there was one character that i thought was the only redeeming character for most of the film and then in the last act she completely lets it down and that's Gina Rivera's character who was um what's the name it's the one is it the one she befriends at the beginning yeah it's 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 Molly but um when you say lets it down I I have to say 
what happens to her is not her fault. You're jumping ahead, right? Okay. Basically, she is, throughout it, she's kind of the moral compass for... um, I mean, they meet in a ridiculous way. She's basically... um, Elizabeth Berkeley, who's what's in the character's name? I've even forgotten. Is it Naomi? Yeah, is because this because this idiot's gone off with her luggage in in the pickup truck. She's kind of throwing one of her temper tantrums and sort of bashing and kicking the shit out of a vehicle that just happens to be um, Molly's uh, vehicle as, as as she's coming up to it, and they have a uh, you, you know an argument, but ends up she ends up taking her in, and they become you know, flatmates and, and et cetera. And she's the one that works as a, is it a makeup person in the... Um, she's more like a costume designer. Costume designer, makeup person, whatever. Oh, and, and, and you know, Elizabeth Berkeley again, you know, she, she, she kind of, I'm saying about, you know, a, a stereotype. She's there at the, she pronounces Versace, v- Versace, and uh, yeah, she, she does, doesn't yeah. know what an MBA is and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And you're like, really, this is really badly, you know, conceived and written, I thought anyway. Um, yeah. But no, the, th- the thing with Gina is all the way through, Gina can kind of see or sorry, Molly, Gina's the actress. Molly can sort of see um, the, 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 the decline of, of, of Numi and um and and where she's going and, and kind of warns her about what she's doing and tells her not to get too close to the uh, Crystal Connors, who's the Gina Gershon character, mm, and, and, yeah. and you, you know, sort of scolds her out for doing certain things to get ahead because, sorry, I'm, I'm not really lingering on the plot too much, what there is of plot, but um, she basically ends up pushing, uh, after one of the performances, pushing Crystal down a flight of stairs so that she's injured so that she can sort of take her place and take that mantle. And, um, you, you know, Molly, Molly sort of scolds her out for all of this stuff, but then this is what lets her down. I know, I know something horrible happens to her. Yeah. Here, no, I, I know you mean that. Yeah. She goes, she, she's there being the sort of sensible one in moral compass and all this. And then you find out that this Fabio looking, um, rock star guy is going to be at a party and suddenly uh her character turns up to the party sort of flirty and 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 all this to meet this guy and that's when i thought oh you've let it down because she'd been sort of such a strong or the only strong character in this bad movie and then she does something silly like that, which which then leads to the horrible thing that happens to her. Yeah. But what I'm saying, it's more of a it's it's more of a a cheap plot device than than a sort of true character development, if you if you ask me, because I don't think that character would have been all the way through. She doesn't seem that stupid. Um, yeah. Yet she kind of does that at the end after all of this shit that she says to 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 know know me, and I just think. She kind of, I was just like, what? When I saw that. But bearing in mind yeah. that I wasn't that invested up until this point anyway. <laughs> but I was trying to find something good to say about it. And even that let me down. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I, I know what you mean. But um, I think my point about what happens to her is it was kind of like the story was punishing her for being a good person. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah. I mean, because, you know, all these horrible people, nothing really happens to them. Yet this one decent person in it 
has this horrendous rape and it's just it's nasty it's just, it's very nasty and it's just yeah it's a, a plot device to you know to send nomi on this kind of revenge trip where she visits this uh fabio wannabe and they do this weird thing where she's put makeup on her tits she's put lipstick and when i saw that i thought oh maybe they're gonna do like it's poison or yeah something? that would have been too clever for this script yeah but you know <laughs> it just seems to be i don't know a distraction because as soon as he starts uh licking the makeup off she then starts kicking his ass yeah and she you know really kicks his ass and uh yeah. It, it, it's it's very poor and then and it just leads to her leads to her running off and then you get the whole thing where she just happens to bump into the same elvis pickup truck driver again and as they they drive off into the distance uh you see this oh they're on a crane and it it tilts up and it, it you see a sign of her advertising as her the, the lead yeah, and then the... yeah and then as it goes up you see a sign that says los angeles and you're going Oh, mm. really? Yeah. <laughs> Are they just trying to say that she's now heading towards um, LA and she's got her sights on Hollywood and it's just like... Yeah. No, no, no. It, 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 it's, uh, you know, that sort of bookend thing they tried to do with the the opening and the ending. I mean, I just I just found that really cheesy <laughs> and unbelievable. Yeah, and, God, yeah. you yes. know, I, I didn't think it worked. I mean, you know, you can see that this was an expensive production um oh, but obviously yeah. you know it turned into not only being sort of another razzie award-winning film but it, 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 it i believe it was a massive um financial flop uh as well as a critically was, yeah. panned film even though there are people out there who like it and you know fair enough i i kind of respect that yeah. if people like it they like it um but i don't think i missed the point with this i mean i do actually think that you know you know I understand that it is, you know, it's got a satirical um, aspect to it. I, I get that. And, I, you, you know, they're not necessarily saying that this, this sleazy, seedy side of show business is, is a good thing. But what, I'm, what I don't get is it's just, you know, as I said, it ju it's just filled with these, these horrible stereotypes that don't go on a journey. Uh, I felt nothing, as I said, for the, for the lead character. I just thought, what are you doing? You're you're getting more despicable as this goes on, and you, you know, if 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 it wasn't obvious that everything was was very very designed about this, you you, you do almost feel like it is totally being made up as it goes along, because the script and the acting is just appalling. You know, it's just really bad. No arguments here. Um, I will just say though, it was good on. Paul Verhoeven to actually go and accept his Razzie Award for Showgirls. Yeah. And uh, also, the only thing that made me laugh in the film was the sex scene with um, Elizabeth Berkley and Carl McLaughlin, where she did a, a dolphin impression. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It was like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, it is a representation of, of, of one side of the business. And I know, you know, sadly, a lot of people you know kind of kind of are, are attracted to that side of the business but um i have to say you know i i want i want movies to be about entertainment and escapism and in some cases you know to educate and inspire as well and um 
yeah, that 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 side of the business just really doesn't doesn't appeal to me, and well, this film didn't appeal. It, it did. It it, it didn't tick. It any certainly didn't. No, no. And and I did. As I said, I'd avoided it because I'd heard terrible things about it, and I did go into it thinking, well, how bad can it really be? And <laughs> it, I, I was. I was massively surprised on how bad it was. And um, yeah, def- for me, of Verhoeven's work, this is definitely by far movie hell. Yes, I would say it's definitely his worst film. But his second <laughs> worst film for me <laughs> is my pick for movie hell, and that is Hollow Man. Right, yeah. Now, um, so uh, Hollow Man is a... Um, uh, sort of uh, telling of the invisible man story so the plot is that um you have a group of scientists who are working for the government and they are they have come up with a serum that makes um they're testing on animals and it makes them invisible and the problem they're having is actually bringing them back making them materialize and so um the first thing you s- you sort of see is this gorilla that's invisible and you see this sort of um, rat run into its cage and then you see it violently attacked and then its head cut off and you sort of see the blood dripping off the sort of uh, invisible face. So Kevin Bacon uh, plays um, Sebastian Kane and he is a, a genius (laughs) <laughs> he's the guy who came up with the serum to you know create invisibility but uh, can't quite figure out how to to bring people back and so he tries out this new formula which works it brings the the gorilla back and so they he wants to try human testing so instead of telling their government officials their overseers that it works they say that they need more time and kevin bacon decides to be the guinea pig to take this uh, serum and becomes invisible and um and then of course the rest of the film is about you know him going power mad with you know this ability to you know go wherever he wants do whatever he wants and not be seen and um yeah, it's. I have to say, it's a film that for me it starts off well. I kind of like where it's going, and then it sort of reaches the sort of middle point where it just it just lost me. And after that, I just didn't like it at all. And I can tell you the exact point where I started to really hate this film was the bit where the girl gets uh-huh. raped, and then when he kills the dog. Uh-huh that was for me that was at that point i just did not care anymore for this film i did not care for kevin bacon's character because i think up to that point it had been kind of fun and you know the whole idea of him doing this power trip that he you know nobody can see him i mean he's the the first night after he's made invisible he um he fills up one of the uh one of his colleagues isn't he this Uh woman asleep and uh she doesn't doesn't know if it's a dream or if it was really him and it kind of from that he he gets braver and braver but 
I just, ah, I just not, I just not a fan of this film. Fair enough. Uh, I, I have to admit, I mean, I, uh, I think it's, I think it's flawed, and um, for me, it's it's the one, it's the one film of Verhoeven's Hollywood films that doesn't feel like a Verhoeven film, if that makes sense. Um, it's yeah. kind of yeah. it's kind of Verhoeven light, uh, even though obviously it's 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 about some fairly you know fucking dark stuff. Um, I I mean I, I remember seeing it at the cinema and uh, y- you know thinking it was okay. I mean I kind of like the whole I do like the kind of whole H.G. Wells source material um, stuff, which has been done you know in many different ways o- over the decades. Um, and and this was an interesting take on it. I think what my problem was with this film is uh, Kevin Bacon's character, Sebastian Kane, is you know he he's kind of not not a, he's a bit of a dick and and very arrogant and not a particularly nice guy in the first place. So his journey sort of into madness and into becoming the, uh, you, you know, the, 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 the psycho killer that he ends up being is not, again, not a massive character change in so much as he's not particularly no. likable from the start. It's not like it starts off and you've got some sort of, you know, empathy for this character and you're sort of with him on this on this journey. He's very much. Um, you know, he's full of hubris and, and egomania right right from the start. And, and you, you, you know, you just you just don't. And, and this is Kevin Bacon we're talking about, who's a guy who's hard not to like. You know, he, he has that sort of charisma. But yeah, but but yeah, he doesn't really he doesn't really come across, um, you know, with anything likable right from the start. So the the. the you know, I mean, you're you're completely with Elizabeth Shue's character. Um, you know, more more with this. You know, with her being the sort of one one in yeah. threat throughout this. Um, I mean, w- w- what I did is I had the uh, back in sort of two thousand two thousand. I mean, the film came out in two thousand, didn't it? So I think like the the following year yeah. it was released on. Um, on, on DVD and I went back to that. It was a special edition DVD that had uh, commentaries and loads and loads of making of featurettes and documentaries and whatever. And it actually made me not only watch the film, but I actually watched everything. I watched the, from the deleted scenes to the, the, the making of, and I have to say, I mean, it, it's an incredibly well-made film in terms of visual effects Oh yeah, technically it's it's a it, it, the effects in it are really well incredibly done. incredibly well done. Um, I think it's just yeah, the story. and I mean it's got it's got a great uh, score, you know, by Jerry Goldsmith, and it's obviously got some some good actors in this. Um, but yeah, I, I I think the the, the problem with it, it, it well, there's there's kind of two things for me. A, uh, I I think it's flawed in in so much as as you don't particularly um you know you don't particularly care about the character first off anyway uh the other thing is when it gets into the finale and i understand you know it's done for suspense and 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 whatever but the whole um 
uh, elevator shaft sequence just gets absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, uh, it gets yeah, to a point. I, I was, I was thinking the same thing as well. So you know, you suspend your disbelief. I mean, Christ, we're talking about a, a, a film with an invisible man in it, for God's sake. So you, you know, you suspend it for a bit, but then th- they went that extra mile again with it, and it was kind of like. Uh, you were suddenly thinking, well, Elizabeth Shue's character is sort of, yes, she's a strong, strong female character, which is great, but she kind of turns almost into like superhero by the end of it. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I kind of didn't didn't particularly buy that. And the other thing I didn't buy as well was the fact that she um, she flame froze him and you start to see like his burnt mm. skin, which starts dropping off and making him invisible again. But yet, how the hell was he running around with that amount? You know, anybody would be either crawled up in a ball in so much pain or dead. You know, the amount of burns he got. And then um, they find out that the... the, Because they had tried earlier this serum that didn't work on Kevin Bacon. They find out it was actually if electricity was actually the key that Mm -hmm. they were missing. And so you sort of see him come back, but you, you see him, you don't see him come back fully. You just see him come back as like, you just see his muscle tone. So he hasn't come back fully and it just looked stupid. How the hell? What? He, if that was the case, he'd yeah. be dead. You know, if, you know, I thought of, or if that was just what was showing and his skin was invisible, I don't know, but it had been burnt and he's, you know, you're just sitting there going, scratching your head going, wait a minute, how the fuck's, how is this guy still yeah. running around? No, I mean, I, you know, I, obviously I, I spent a bit of time on this and had a real sort of dig into mm. it. And, um, you, you, you know, you know, I enjoy it to a point and, and I do think it's, you know, incredibly well made and, and, you know, there's a lot of good people involved in that. Um, I kind of thought that may I didn't realize you you disliked it quite as much. I thought it may have been your pick because I, I do honestly think that this is the one that doesn't really feel like a Paul Verhoeven film. He he almost doesn't does it doesn't yeah, feel like that. he's got his signature yeah. stamp on this at all. Really, um, yeah. You know, okay, yes, there is the sexual assault of um, uh, it's what's her name. Um, Oh, Rona Mitra, isn't oh, it? Rona yeah, Mitra. an early film of hers. Yeah, yeah. Um, who's very beautiful. Um, it was very interesting because she was. Um, I remember seeing her in FHM, and then suddenly she was like uh, cast in this film because um, when she was in FHM, she was uh, the human embodiment. Of oh, that's Laura right. Yes, yeah, she was, wasn't she? Yes. This was back when the, it was just the video game, and we pre Angelina Jolie, absolutely, so, and. Uh, and she was a better better model for it as well i believe but um yeah and and sort of she's she's had a career in hollywood which is it, it's been all right i think the 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 biggest role she's she's had up to this point was uh the lead in doomsday mm-hmm. yeah she's currently in a uh, a post apocalyptic series called uh, the last ship which is produced by michael bay um, but I have to say, it's actually quite fun. I've watched the first season. It's oh, actually okay. quite enjoyable. But um, but yeah, I mean, y- you know, this this thing with uh, Hollow Man, I mean, it even made me go back. And um, I was very lucky in the January sale, I managed to get the Blu-ray 
uh, Universal Monsters collection for 16 quid in Sainsbury's, which I thought was an absolute steal for that because it's uh, it's got oh, it's got nice. like eight movies, you know, absolutely filled with special features and things of that nature. Yeah, but yeah. I, but I watched. I actually own that box set yeah, as well. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I went back and I watched the, uh, the 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 James Well film with um, uh, Claude Rains playing the Invisible Man, oh, okay. just just to kind of. You, you know, see some of the, uh, you know, some of the origins, some of the similarities and whatever. And, and interestingly, in, in that, um, you know, because the character by that point in when the film starts has already, you, you know, undergone the, 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 the invisibility. Oh, okay. And uh, he, he right from the get go, I mean, obviously, this was a pre code film at the time. And, uh, you know, he's actually quite... Um, quite quite nasty and 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 ruthless right from the get-go as well so that was interesting and one of the things i i like that they did do in in hollow man was um you know in terms of trying to reimagine this is they they sort of replaced the whole bandages thing with the with the latex um yes mask. Did, i thought yeah. i thought they'd done that all all quite well but uh, yeah, it's it, it's. It, I understand. I, I understand why you picked it. I mean, I don't think. I don't necessarily think it's a bad. I think it's quite a good sort of sci-fi horror thriller. You, you know, it's it's quite enjoyable. But it, it, it's 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 definitely got sort of flaws in in so much as you don't really particularly. I think you, you know like like the character right from the get-go, and obviously he goes on to do hideous things. But I think if he was slightly more likable to start with and then went to do hideous things, you'd maybe kind of, yes. kind of feel a bit more, um, uh, honest. Yeah. Side. Yeah. Or not, or, or, you know, it'd be a more tragic story. It would be a more yes. tragic yeah. decline, uh, in, into this sort of insanity. Um, so, yeah. so yeah, I think it, I think it was flawed. Um, interesting am i right in saying that this was the last one he made in hollywood before sort of going back to the netherlands and doing black book is that right yes um, that's right yeah so yeah interesting i mean this was obviously a big budget uh, i think was it commercially yeah it was a commercially successful film if, if the numbers online are correct um yeah, but I, I think it wasn't spectacularly uh, successful. I don't think it was the kind of numbers that they were hoping for. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I have not seen it. I know there was a sort of director video um, sequel of Christian Slater, but I've not seen that. So um, I, I, I don't really know too much about that. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of director video sequels with starring Christian Slater <laughs> back in the, the, the noughties. There was there? indeed. You know, that's true. Um, in, interestingly as well, is um it, it's quite funny actually uh you know we often talk about sort of hollywood and, and the trends and, and things of that nature and um obviously you know you look at all the sort of major studios and 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 you know disney of course have got the the star wars franchise but also the the, the marvel cinematic universe and and obviously warner are trying to do this uh, DC expanded universe franchise at the moment. And it's quite interesting because yeah. Universal are actually in the process of trying to relaunch and reboot the um, Monsters movie franchise. They, yes, they, they've they got, um, yeah. with, with quite big names attached, they've got a mummy film um, with uh, Tom Cruise attached, planned for 2017. And then they've got, uh, there is an Invisible Man 
film uh, planned to, to be starring Johnny Depp in the lead role. And, and he is going to make a, an appearance or, or, or not, as the case may be. Obviously, he's the Invisible Man <laughs> in the in the Mummy film. So they're going to try and sort of have these crossovers and have two films a year and whatever coming out, sort of remaking the everything from you know, the Wolfman to Frankenstein to, to Dracula, you know, through and, and try and have this sort of, it seems to be the Vogue thing at the moment, I guess, to sort of compete with television and whatever. Hollywood are wanting these um, shared universes. I also read, I don't know which studio it is, but there's going to be a, there's going to be a new King Kong reboot, which is supposed to sort of tie in with the Godzilla franchise. And they're, again, they're going to have a, a crossover like the Japanese films did back in the fifties and, and whatever. So it's quite interesting that it's the, the, the whole film things like an onion. It's not interesting. I have to say, I'm starting to get very depressed about all this stuff. It's getting, it's getting stupid now. I mean, the, the problem with all this crossover stuff and trying to create these massive franchises, I mean, yes, Marvel does a good job, but even they are, are lacking in some senses. I mean, the, the thing about, um, avengers age of Ultron was that they had to set it, it wasn't as good as avengers oh Assembly nowhere near because it was trying to set up too many other films that were going to come after yeah. it it wasn't its own story i mean from what i'm hearing about um batman v superman you know dawn of the justice league um that is a complete and utter mess that has hardly any Batman v Superman in it. Well, we'll find out next and, week, uh, won't we? <laughs> oh, by the yeah, time this podcast well, is out, we, we, will, we would have found out, yeah. <laughs> well, it's out. It's out this Friday. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh... and, and the thing is, I'm, I'm completely missing it. And I think, I think the, the problem with film studios is that, you know, the, the thing that's happened before with franchises is that they, they weren't created as franchises. You know, a film does well, and then they want to make a sequel. Well, like RoboCop's a prime example. Yes, and Hollow Man, and you know, Tremors that we spoke about last time. And but the thing is, you can watch the first film in the series and not have to go off and watch anything else. It's not connected to it anyway. That if anything, the sequel is sort of a progression of what happened in the first one. Mm-hmm it's just getting so annoying that they have to have these connected worlds and it's and but because it's at the sake of storytelling i know i agree it's like they can't tell this they can't tell the story that they're telling they have to set up the next story and it's it's really affecting these these films your your point there's correct i mean I, i have to say i mean i i i do I love crossovers uh whether it's in tv or movies or whatever i do love that but I love it when it, you're absolutely right. It, the, the films need to work on their own. And if that stuff's in it, then that's like a, a bonus, an added benefit, a cool thing for the fans or whatever. Yeah, but you're, you're absolutely right. The important thing is the, the films have to work as a standalone film. It's a bit like we were saying with, um, oh, I can't remember what it was. A few podcasts back, we were talking about how... Uh, I think it was on the Riddick one, the the the, the Chronicles of Ridiculous. Oh right, yes, yeah, um, yeah. Where uh, <laughs> where we were talking about the uh, you, you know the fact that um, you know if you watch the animated film that that that, that yes. bridged them, 
then then fine but it didn't matter if you you didn't see that the the, the, the films yeah. still worked independently and i think i think if if that's how it's done then I, as a sort of geek fanboy myself I, I kind of love all that stuff and i love it when you know whether it's television or film or whatever when they when they do crossovers with with characters or storylines or or certain plot things that that's great but but it, it does mm. absolutely f- first and foremost have to work as a um as a film or an episode or whatever in its own right so yeah no i i totally agree with what you're saying and and they have i mean all of the because of the success disney have had it does seem that all the uh the other major studios are, are kind of going back through their back catalog of oh well what franchises what what properties do we own that we can sort of reboot and 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 and, and do this thing and have a sort of um you know timeline up to sort of 2025 or whatever with two movies coming out every year and <laughs> you, you you know it, it, it does it, it kind of um you know, if the quality remains there, then then great. But but there is that worry that it's going to turn into uh, it's going to get franchise fatigue, and it's going to turn into just a sort of winky winky thing. I'm starting to get franchise fatigue already, and we we have so many films leading up to 2020. Um, I you know, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying the Marvel universe. I think they they did it the right way. They set up these characters, had them in their own stories before putting them together in the Avengers. But even they are starting to slip now. They're too worried about setting up other stories. But they've got web series and everything now. It's 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 crazy. I mean, I have to say that the, the Daredevil web series is very good. I don't know whether you've seen that one. It's very good. I mean, I've just I've just finished watching series two. Oh, right. You're ahead of um, me. No spoilers. I'm <laughs> No, no spoilers. But I'll just say that... Um, Again, it would have been far more interesting if they had concentrated on the one storyline instead of the two storylines. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. I will. Um, I will find out. What saying that, it was I still it. it was still enjoyable. Okay. Yeah, Fair enough. It was still enjoyable, and the thing is, with like, um, I kind of like what they did with Agents of Shield, linking into um, you know Captain America, Winter Soldier, and um, also Age of Ultron. Uh, but it's sort of that was running in parallel it didn't really you know if if you hadn't seen winter soldier it didn't you know it wasn't like you were missing part of the story it Mm. still worked on its own it was just nice that it was connected yeah winter soldier is probably my favorite marvel movie so far i thought that was absolutely fantastic but it's, it's interesting that warner and um you know with the dc properties they they seem to have kept their uh movies their tv shows and their animation series all kind of separate you know you've got like the kind of arrowverse going on in the tv uh universe but if that's not going to tie into to these movies it seems that they're going to you know re-establish these characters again for the movies i think with the with the movies they're rushing well, they're trying to play catch up aren't they yeah but they're rushing too much i mean the end of the day it shouldn't have been Batman v Superman the Rise of Justice League it should have been either Man of Steel 2 or it should have been Man Batman 1 it, 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 we, we needed something or just made it Batman v Superman and just kept it as that mm-hmm. instead of having Dawn of Justice League and also 
trying to do two different comic books and putting them into together. Yeah, well, they've apparently they've got Affleck as Batman turning up in Suicide Squad as well this summer. So, um... <laughs> yeah, um, well, I mean, I have to say I'm kind of looking I'm more looking forward to Suicide Squad than I am, um, you know, Batman v Superman. I mean, actually, I'm not going to see Batman v Superman. And, you know, I can't state that enough. I'm, I'm absolutely skipping that film. And it's hard for me to say because I'm a Batman fan. Mm, well we know yeah no absolutely and and of course we've got the whole and there's the whole x-men thing as well which is which is another separate uh movie series yeah i have to say i'm not keen on the apocalypse the the trailers haven't sold me uh i i I really enjoyed uh days of future past but that was amazing uh, yeah i really liked days of future past again it was done in a sort of star trek rebooty type way wasn't it so uh so to sort of free them up yeah it sort of said yeah yeah but um well you know um i'm i'll probably will see apocalypse but um definitely not seeing batman v superman Anyway, I think that's a good place to end it. Yeah, yeah, we kind of, we kind of got off the road there at the end, unintentionally. Yes, we have, the haven't the we? Sort of train of thought went, but uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the reason we got onto that was was just sort of linking back to the whole Invisible Man, Stroke Hollow Man, Man. Um, yeah. thing, and uh, yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily think it's a bad film, but uh, it's 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 not one of it, it misses a lot of uh, Vera Oven's touch. Uh, which, which you know, he he's done so well in in his other, you know, the, yeah. particularly the two that yeah. we, uh, the two movie heavens that we spoke about, but also in things like Basic Instinct and Total Recall and Starship Troopers and all that good stuff as well. So, um, uh, yeah, it did it did seem to be a a little bit of a departure, and um, not not completely satisfying on all levels, but bloody well made. Alas. Being bloody well made doesn't make for a good film. Oh no, so, absolutely, uh, absolutely, yeah. no, it yeah. doesn't. So uh, they 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 kind of missed the mark. Hey, Showgirls was well made, man, but bloody hell, that was a train wreck, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. It was definitely style over substance. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, but you know. There's a lot of good films in uh, Verhoeven's filmography. You should check it out. Is. I mean, definitely check out Black Books. Black yeah. Book was really good. It was, yeah, I remember and it that. Was, yeah. It was, it was, it was definitely a return to form. And um, great film. It was something that was a bit more personal as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I mean, it's good, and and it, you know, it looks like some of his his Dutch work is 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 really worth. Um, checking out indeed you know uh, know, make it making this a little bit more international than we than we usually are (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean i i look forward to seeing his film l and uh see what that's about so uh, that's in post-production right now and possibly will be out later this year so uh we'll sort of look out for that yeah it's interesting he's one of those few directors that hasn't made a return to television um like like sort of many have uh of late but uh he seems to be sticking with with uh film in his in his mother country so good on him yeah i i think he's probably as i say partly enjoying a bit of a retirement as well from from making films and just sort of dipping his toe in uh i think he's in financially in a place where 
he doesn't have to worry so much about making films. So, you know, good on him. Uh, but I, I look forward to seeing his next film. And um, yeah, so let's let's end it there. Yep. We are well over the two hour oh, mark. We? Okay. Well, we, we <laughs> yes, knew this we would are. be a long one. It's Verhoeven. So, yes. Yeah. 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 But well worth well worth talking. So, um, Keith. Where can we find you? Okay, if you go to YouTube and type in British Isles, that's E-Y-L-E-S, as in my last name, uh, there are short films on there that I've uh, that I've made that you can watch for free. And as always, you can find my work on independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can find this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and YouTube. Uh, follow us on Facebook and um, Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, also, please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. Well, um, that's it for this episode. Happy birthday. Yes, first our first birthday. And uh, here's to many more. And uh, yes, join us for um, our next episode as we step into our second year of doing this. Wow. <laughs>